If you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Job. It wasn't that long ago I was asked by a congregation. They were doing the, a survey of the Bible and they were doing it in broad strokes and they were doing it uh, books at a time. And they said, Don, which book would you like to do? And I said, well, I'd like to do the book of Job because it has a special significance to me. And for our scripture, I, I'm old-fashioned. I do a scripture reading, then I do, then we go preach. Um, let us look at Job chapter 2. And I'd like to read verses 7 through 10. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. God bless her. He replied, Are you talking like a foolish woman? We, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Can a good God allow suffering? What a challenge. Now, I don't know how you've come to the service this morning. What I usually find out is when we come to this time of preaching, somebody's tire was flat this morning, or the kids made them late to church, or uh, all of a sudden, oh, I forgot my, my Sunday school help. I have to go back to the house and get my Sunday school help. Or uh, somebody got sick that we hadn't planned on being sick today, and things change quickly. Any of that going on, Pastor? Oh, yeah. And it seems to be the normal of life, right? That's just the way life is. It seems like it has all these things, all these moving parts, and some of them don't move quite like we think they should move. And I don't know whether you're in the same boat that I am, but once in a while I get to the outside of one of those situations and I say, okay, Lord, did I really deserve this? I mean, really, Lord. Does this really have anything to do with what's going on? See, in our day-to-day -day trials, there's always the temptation to doubt that God is looking for our best. We're sort of human that way. Job is a part of the wisdom leader, literature of our Bible. It's a, it includes the, uh, the Proverbs, the Psalms. These are wisdom that has been gleaned over the point of time and it's uh, part of our Bible because of that. What I think it's important for is that it points to an essential element of our salvation. Job, the book of Job, points to an essential element of our salvation. It happens to be the oldest book in the Bible, we think. We think it predates the Exodus. It has no mention of Moses. It has no mention of the law. We think it might be even predating the patriarchs because it doesn't talk about Abraham at all. Evidence is that it probably was written 
during Abraham's lifetime. So we, hear, we have this story in the Bible of this dude. In chapter 1, if you look, we find that Job worshipped God truly. He kept himself pure. He even sacrificed not only for his own sins, but on, in behalf of his children to make sure that their sins were covered. God was so pleased with Job <laughs> that he mentioned it in front of Satan. And as we look in chapter 1, we see that, that uh, room where Satan and Job are together, or, and Satan and uh, God are together, and he says, uh, so here you come in from outside, and what have you been doing? And he says, uh, have you looked at Satan? Have you looked at Job? It's almost as if God has a certain pride at this servant that is doing so well in his worship of God. Satan counters then and says, well, why shouldn't he? You've blessed him over and over and over again. He's, he's got everything he ever needed from your almighty hand. So why shouldn't he be worshiping you and, and positive towards you and, and giving you His worship and play, praise. But if you touched, his bo- touched Him, verse 9 of chapter 1, we'll just read it right out of it. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to his face, your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, then. Everything he has is in your hands. But on the man himself you must not lay a finger. And so what does Satan go out and do? He just takes it all away. From all of his herds and all of his lands and from all, even his kids. He takes away all of his children. Leaves him with his wife. God bless him. In verse 20 it says, At this Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked, I will depart. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. How many of us could go in that category? Last night I was driving the Model T Ford from... uh, In fact, the reason I didn't come over last night was because I was driving the Model T Ford. A couple wanted to go to prom. And so I had the Model T all gussied up. Oh, she looked good. And I headed over towards Wellman. And here came this cloud. And it decided to rain. I was driving along really good. And all of a sudden I noticed I was slowing down. And I slowed down. And I thought, so what more can happen? Well, I got over to Wellman, we got the couple inside, and I saw this drip. And of course, it was on rain-soaked pavement. So you could see this rainbow from underneath the car down the street. 
it was leaking gasoline. I said, oh, well, this is sort of interesting. Am I going to make it home tonight? Well, it started, and it ran, and we took the couple through, and nobody seemed to notice the rainbow underneath, and I made it home. But, you know, when we have those things happen that don't go according to what we think is our plan, don't we often say, so how come is this happening now? And don't we want to, in the back of our mind, want to charge God with, you know, couldn't you help me out here? Anybody else like that? There's three of us. Okay, that's good. I don't feel quite so alone. After losing his fortune and his family, Job fell down in penitent worship that acknowledged God is still the recipient and should be the recipient of his worship. In fact, Job remains faithful even when Satan comes back and says, well, if you just touch his flesh, then he will curse you. And we see that he doesn't do that. Job remains true in his faith that God is who God is and is a receiver of our worship no matter what's going on in our life. In chapter 2, then his three wonderful friends come and join him. They mourn with him seven days and seven nights. And then we have the next 30 chapters <laughs> detailing the conversation that these fellows have with Job. Thoughts about the economy of their relationship to God. The chapters basically lay out in a common point of view. The first set us, if you're good enough, God will bless you. How many of you subscribe to that? If you're good enough, if you do it well enough, God will bless you. Okay, good. God, I'd like, don't have... If we sacrifice enough, God will bless you. Got some more chapters? Okay, very good. You're doing well here, Luke. How about the if-then? Anybody play in that if-then zone? If I, you know, Lord, if, if, if you just bless me this much, then I'll be with you the rest of the way. Or if you just intervene in this situation, Lord, then I'll follow you faithfully the rest of my days. Anybody in those tried that one out? Those are covered in those 30 chapters. I found Job in 1986. And I think I've talked about some of this before, so I hate to double it up, but it's in the sermon and it really illustrates pretty decent. We were in seminary, finishing up my, my degree, and Charlene became pregnant. That's something about seminary, isn't it? It does that, I guess. And, uh, and it was a complicated pregnancy for Charlene. She's, uh, if you, you haven't seen my wife, have you? She's all of four foot ten inches. Means she's short. And that poor lady gained 54 pounds 
in pregnancy. She was pregnant all that summer while I had a summer job. And we, we had sort of taken a hit by going and leaving, leaving a church and going to seminary. We knew it was going to be tough times and we were going to have to stretch pretty hard. So I took a roofing job. And if you've ever been a roofer, some of you have been roofers, I'm sure there's a roofer in here somewhere. I had those things that, you know, you catch yourself during the day about six or eight times to keep from falling off the roof. This is back when they had old houses with hoity roofs. Uh, I think it was a 10-12. It wasn't really all that bad, but it was enough that you catch yourself from... I did that night, at night. And every time I would jump and catch myself in bed, she'd wake up. And we'd have to go back to sleep all over again. In August 27th, then, Michael was born. And he was born with a defective heart, transposition of the great vessels. And so he went down to Riley Children's Hospital, and he passed away then on the 31st. On the, we had a funeral then the next day at uh, Silverwood. And on Monday, since it was, you know, I'm sort of a, a calculator, I wanted to use all the Labor Day weekend I could. And so we loaded the casket in the back of our van, and because we lived in such a small place, we put the baby bed in there too. And I'll just always remember the picture of the back of our van with the baby bed and the casket. We went to Kansas then and buried Michael in our family cemetery. And I couldn't sleep that night after we went out. So I, I left the house and I was staying at mom and dad's. Went out in the pasture. And I was pretty much beside myself at this point. It had been an awful summer. It had been an awful eight months, nine months. And I asked God, after all this investment I'm doing, God, how could you let this happen? How could you let my son die? And while we have the entire Bible as God's Word, He's really good with short sentences. And He said, I believe audibly, my son died too. Words of comfort from a father who'd lost a son got him back again to a father who'd lost a son. God understands. God understands. In chapter 32, when Elihu takes time to shift the focus from God to where it should, from Job to where it should be, Basically, God and our response to a holy creator and sustainer of us all. The importance of the book of Job is that it predates the law. It's not influenced by law. The relationship is between Job and God. It's very simple. This situation where Satan was able to get his hands on Job in this kind of way is simply because of the human condition of the fall. And we're all influenced by our sin. 
and by the human, create, the human condition of the fall. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For us as believers, however, I believe in a God who can even use the most dire of circumstances. The most difficult of hardships. To create places of transformation for His kingdom's sake. Job says it like this. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Charlene and I then left seminary after I graduated. We ended up in Kansas, a town called Yoder. Anybody know that name? Ring a possibility? Yeah, okay. In that situation, after the news article came out that we were there, a local mortuary called and said, we need you and your wife to lead a group because there's been a lot of deaths of children. And in the next three years, we worked and walked beside 22 couples who had lost children. And we could minister to them out of what we had gone through. It takes the 30 chapters in between to get Job to get the three guys to understand that Job hadn't done anything wrong. And basically this was a test to find out how deep and strong Job's faith was. God outlines his point of view. If you get it sometime this afternoon uh, before you take your nap. Maybe between games or whatever's going on this afternoon. Read chapters 38 to 41 to get God's point of view. It brings Job back from the pride that he's following God so well that he really didn't deserve this to the point that in chapter 41, let's just read that quick. Job replies, 42, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, Who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to, to know. You said, Listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall give me an answer. My ears have heard you, Lord, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. It's Job's confession, even after all of his worship, that you know right, you're right, Lord. It's all yours. It doesn't have to do with me. 
Job always had faith in God. He had a problem with being accused by others. And I think we'd sort of identify with that. But the element that I want us to point out, want to see pointed out in this passage is, this faith, this faith that Job had, even after losing everything, is the only peace that you and I bring to our salvation. Have you thought of that? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. Ephesians 2, 8-10 says, We are saved by grace through what? Faith. And not by works, lest any man should boast. But it's a free gift of God. James chapter 1, verses 2-4 through says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you endure trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance, when it's finished its work, leaves us mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's God's intention that through the hardest of times, through our faith, God's goodness will shine through. And if you think that's an isolated spot, Put it down in your notes to read Romans 5, verses 1 through 6. Because not only does James say it this way, but so does Paul. And you'll notice the parallels between those two passages. See, God allows Satan to test our faith in order to purify that precious commodity. In fact, that most precious commodity that is truly ours in the midst of salvation. Sifted and purified for our benefit in this often troublesome life. Think about those who actually gave their life because of their faith. I, I was thinking of the, uh, the great translators, why can I, Wycliffe, was one of the ones who gave his life for translating the Bible. He would, I mean, really, sounds like a pretty good deal, right? He wanted to translate the Bible into a language that people could understand. Really sounds like a noble mission. And the church killed him. That just don't seem like that adds up very good, does it? But he knew what, we, what God was calling him to do. Yeah, he gave his life for doing it. But brothers and sisters, we've got New Testaments and Old Testaments on our laps right now this morning because he was willing to live out his faith right into the end. So basically this morning, I'd like for you to take God's point of view to the trials and tribulations that you might be going through right now. And as I drove over this morning, I got a sense that there, there are some of you among the, the gathered congregations this morning that are carrying some pretty heavy stuff. And I'm not sure what it is, but the Spirit said you got it. So I believe it. And so I do want to pray for you this morning. 
Pray that you'll look at things from God's point of view. Rather than mine or yours. Because our point of view tends to be sort of myopic. I'm very nearsighted. So all of you just left the room when I took my glasses off. And so I can only see about so far into the future what my current actions are going to be doing. Or what this current situation is going to bring about. But through God's Word, and I think the book of Job is a good part of it, we begin to see that what we're currently going through is only part of a much bigger story. If we serve out this peace with faithfulness in Almighty God, we become part of His narrative. Part of the greater story. May I pray? Heavenly Father, now I'm not sure who's in the room that this might have uh, shaken, maybe uh, offended, maybe caused questions. But You do, Lord. I do pray, Heavenly Father, that Your Holy Spirit would continue to move among us this morning as we sing and say our goodbyes, as we walk from this building into our daily lives. Reminding us that that flat tire that puts us beside the road this week, even that might have a purpose. Or that person we drive by with the flat tire might be someone we need to help. That individual who's got that heartache this morning. Tremendous loss. You know exactly what they're feeling. And Lord, you know exactly how it fits into your bigger plan. Heavenly Father, I pray by your Holy Spirit, you would reward their faith with a better understanding of the calling you're putting on their lives. Heavenly Father, continue to bless this congregation, their time with one another, and their mission in this community. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.